So uh, a couple of years ago, a few years back when I first started coming to Midtown, I, uh, I decided I was going to do the uh, Graylin Reese 5K, okay? And uh, who's, who's done the, the Graylin Reese 5K? If, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's this, this race that we do every year. And uh, we raise money for orphans all over the world. It's really awesome. I, uh, I was excited. I used to run cross country and track in high school. And I thought, you know, since I'm a, I'm a seasoned runner, I, I'm, I'll be fine. You know, I'll be fine. I can jump into this race. And so a few weeks before the race started, I, I started training for this race. And I, I headed out the door. And, uh, you know, first couple of steps of any run, it was like, wow, this is... This is different than walking. You know, I could, I could feel my body uh, being um, challenged by what I was doing. And uh, the next couple of steps were challenging and the next. And by the time I got to the end of my street, I had to stop because I was so out of breath. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I was out of shape. It had been years since I had really ran. And um, it was humbling. And so I struggled through the Graylin Reese 5K that year. Um, but over the next couple of years, I started running a little bit more and a little bit more. And, um, you know, I, I, I really started enjoying what running was for me. It was a time that I could spend with the Lord where my mind could, could clear. And uh, one day I had this like Forrest Gump moment. Okay, so the COVID hit and um, I was getting to put in a little bit more miles. I didn't have a commute to work anymore. And I just kept running and running and running. And uh, by the way, don't do this if you're married because I was so excited, but my wife's like, where in the world are you? You know, she, I had been out for hours and I ended up running a half, marath a half marathon just out on a run one day, and, which to me was a, a really big deal. Um, but it was exciting. I thought maybe I could do a full marathon. And so last year during COVID, I just kept running and running and one day after church, I went out and ran 26 miles, and I did it, you know, and um, didn't really have a training plan or really any direction or uh, any, any goals. I just kind of was running, and um, I was telling my neighbor about this, and he encouraged me to actually sign up for a race. Like, you should, you should actually train for one. And so I, I started training for one, and, and uh, my neighbor, he's a really good guy to know, if you're a novice runner with the size shoe that I have, because he is the Midwest New Balance rep, okay? And it just so happens that my shoe size is the size of all of his samples. And so he, he hooked me up, right? And so um, not only is he awesome, and not only is the hookup awesome, but he is very knowledgeable about running. He's a phenomenal runner, and he's a believer and just a great guy. And so he started, he asked me about my training plan, and I had to shamefully tell him, like, I just kind of aimlessly run. I, I honestly don't know what I'm doing, and he was like, okay, so he started teaching me what to do. I started, he started teaching me how to hydrate, how to, like, my nutrition. He started showing me the exact shoes that I should wear. He even started running with me and pacing me, okay, and he's kind of the, this annoying guy that is incredibly athletic and just running and talking about his family and I'm like dying next to him, you know? And, uh, and, but it was incredible, you know, as I started running with my neighbor, 
what I found is that I had victory even in the most difficult moments in my run. And not only uh, was I less likely to give up, but the hardship uh, that passed, the quicker that we, we ran together, it, I, I didn't feel bound like I did before, like in those hard moments in the run, because he was with me, and he would push me, and he would guide me, and he encouraged me when I was weary, and he gave me direction where to go. And because of this, when I was with him, I was far more prepared for the races that I had before me, right? So this year in, in Life Fellowship, we have been talking about and focusing on going deeper with God. And uh, this focus is essential for us because running without God leads to being directionless in our life. You will be prone to give up in hardship, and often you will be severely unprepared for the races to come. When we run with God, he stays with us through the trial and provides us with help and comfort along the way. And so today we will be jumping into uh, Psalm 86, so you can turn there with me. And what we'll find is David in the exact same position. This is a really uh, unique Psalms from David. It's the only Psalm in the third book of the Psalms from David. And we find David feeling directionless, facing an overwhelming enemy. And the text doesn't tell us exactly who this enemy is, but we do know that it was terrifying. In verse 14 of chapter 86, it says, O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. They've sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. So David was in a world of trouble, and he was being hunted down by men who did not fear God. And here David provides an incredible example of what running with God looks like when we have no direction and how we should respond in trial, drawing near to God in prayer and in time of word with him. Psalm 86 is uh, comprised of references of multiple other psalms and even other scriptures, right? So what we're actually reading is David's prayer as he is in his quiet time going through his own prayer journal, right? So he's reading different psalms that he's written, and he's going through scriptures. So this is an awesome opportunity for us to glean from David. It's essential for us to consider today's passage because just like David, we often are directionless. Like David, we have days of trouble where the world and our flesh and the devil, they, they're seeking after, they're seeking after our soul. And uh, as a counselor, that's what I do, um, I meet a lot of people on this day. A lot of people come into my office and the first thing that they say is, what do, what do I do? I'm directionless. I don't know what to do in my life right now. Today we're going to glean from his prayer, and in David's time with the Lord we see a pattern. The first thing that we'll see is two attributes that we need to acknowledge and accept. And then we will see uh, two actions that we need to be able to, to be and then do. And then the result of that is two outcomes that we will have. So today, the first thing that we're going to be looking at to go deeper with God, the first attribute that we need to accept is that we are destitute that we're destitute. Also, in, uh, in light of uh, it being D-Week, uh, this message will be brought to you by the letter D. You're welcome. 
So we're going to be jumping into Psalm 86, right in there at the first verse. Psalm 86, verse 1, you guys with me? Say yeah. Yeah, okay. It says, Psalm 86, verse 1, a prayer of David. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me for... I am poor and needy. See, David knew what he amounted to, regardless of what stage in David's life that he wrote this, whether it be, you know, he was battling a giant or uh, running for his life from King Saul or he was slaying 10,000s. David knew that he was destitute. David had reckoned already that he was shapen in iniquity and conceived in it, as he says in Psalms 51. Verse 5, and David knew that he was feeble and broken, as he talks about in Psalms 38. Verse 8, despite David being a king of a whole nation, he knew that he was destitute. He resolved that without being heard by God, that he was without the necessities of life. That's what it means to be destitute, to have no necessity. I don't have the things that I need in life. He knew that he would muster up only being poor and needy in his own strength. So what's true is just like David, you and I are poor. You and I are needy. We are destitute without the Lord. It says in Ephesians 2.12 that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, without Christ, we are estranged. We are aliens. We have no intimacy with him. We have no connection point to him. It says in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, this is Paul saying, that it that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. See, Paul saying, I desire to do good, but I have no clue how to do it. I have no clue. Okay, so in my 20s, I played in this band. Um, a lot of times when you think of a band like we were in, um, we, we, were, we weren't that big and we definitely weren't, weren't rich and famous, um, but we were big enough to where we could travel pretty much anywhere in the world and play to some kids that would come to the show. And we did. We played all over the world. And so most people, those kids, mainly thought that we were, we thought that we, that they thought we were rich. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We were very much poor and needy, okay? To the point where my toiletry bag, guys, you guys are probably going to judge me, was a fanny pack, okay? And I would put that fanny pack on, and I would step out of my van, which was parked at the Walmart, and I would walk into Walmart, and that is where I got ready most days for seven years. Most days. Have you guys been in a Walmart bathroom recently. It's literally, the, it's so disgusting. I would brush my teeth. People would come in. They're like with their kids, like shopping. I'm like brushing my teeth, like taking a bath in the shower. I was poor and needy. Okay. I would, we, I was so poor that I would spend the little bit of money that I had on food to go buy a bag of ice because I was so hot sleeping in the van that I would lay the bag of ice on my chest just so I could fall asleep and I'd wake up completely drenched, right? We were poor and needy. And one of the things that happens when you don't shower, just so you know, is that you start to get a scent, okay? 
And I would, I would describe the scent as earthy, okay? Uh, that's what I would tell people when they're like, mainly my mom, she's like, wow, you guys have a scent. And it's earthy, mom. We, you know, we're, we're, we're earthy. So one thing about um, being married, okay, is that I have someone with me all the time, my, my beautiful wife, who is always willing to tell me, to let me know when I smell earthy, right? I didn't have that then, okay? So the only thing worse than being poor and needy is being poor and needy and not knowing it, right? I did not know that I smelled. And at least Paul knew that in his flesh dwelleth no good thing. He knew that he stunk. He wanted to smell good, but he didn't know how, right? So our response Key point number one is to be heard by God. To be heard by God, we first need to know the reality of our position. We need to know the reality of our position. Brothers and sisters, we have to acknowledge and accept that we are destitute, that we are poor and needy, that without Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. And the things that we think that we have only deceive us from the reality that we actually have nothing. We actually have nothing apart from Christ. The reason why I, I actually, one of the things that I love about running is that it's a daily reminder of how poor and needy that I am. Because when I'm running and I run away from my house, which means I have to run back to my house, there's always a point where I hit this wall and I'm, I'm desperate. I'm destitute because I'm so tired. And it, it pushes me to, it reminds me of the spiritual reality that I am destitute. The second attribute to going deeper with God is that we need to accept the fact that we are divine. It says in verse 2, Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. To go deeper with God, we need to accept the fact that we're divine. David knew God saved him and made him divine. So what's true is when we trust in the Lord, he saves us and he preserves us and he makes us holy. It says in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, when we believe on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God makes us like him. He makes us holy. It says in Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we Suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. We become his kids. See, my son's name is Coda Kindler because my name is Jonathan Kindler. And he is my heir. He is my inheritor. He is my successor. He will most likely be like me. He will be stubborn. He'll be dramatic. He will be hairy, right? He probably will start a lot of home projects and not finish them. He will probably be incredibly focused on useless skills like unicycling because he is mine. He is mine. He's my heir. And no matter what happens, my son cannot change the fact that he is mine. There is nothing that we can do to change the fact that we belong to God. 
when we come to acknowledge and accept the fact that God has made us like him, our acknowledgement of being poor and needy is no longer devastating. Get this. It's no longer devastating because, yes, we are destitute. That's true. But he has also made us divine. When we know who we are in Christ, we shift from woe is me, woe is me, to woe is he, woe, woe, look at Christ. Look what he has done, look what he is doing. Look at how he is preserving me in this trial. Look, like, look at how God is transforming me into the image of Christ. Our daily posture and perspective shifts to a kingdom perspective. Our focus isn't on self-preservation, but rather God glorification. What's true is when we trust in the Lord, he saves us, he preserves us, and he makes us holy. So our response is key point number two, to be preserved by God. We need to be, we need to trust in what he has done, what he's done. So if you are here this morning and you haven't trusted in what he's done, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave here without considering where you stand with him. But today, if you are already an heir, if you have already trusted God, if you already received Christ in your life, today is the day to shift away from woe is me to woe is he, right? It's here that we can rest in who God has made us to be, to be in true intimate fellowship with him, to actually walk with him, to actually be with him. So first we need to acknowledge and accept that we are destitute Yet through Christ, we are made divine. And it's only then that we are then able to move into action. Moving to action without being with God leads to a form of godliness. We can do a lot of things for God, but if we haven't first been with him, it looks really nice and all, but there's no power in it. So as we move into action steps, it only comes after those attributes. The first action step to going deeper with God is that we need to be desperate. We need to be desperate. Verse 3 says, Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. To go deeper with God, I must be desperate. David was the man after God's own heart. He had intimate fellowship with God. He had intimacy with God. David was desperate to be in God's presence so that the only reasonable response to trials in David's life was that he would call his father often. He wanted to talk to his father all of the time. David said in Psalms 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. See, David called his father daily and he knew that he would pick up. David knew God would never send him to voicemail, okay? So God would never decline your call. God never declines our calls. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? When, when you call somebody and it rings once or twice, and then it goes to voicemail. 
I'm going to let you guys in on something. The reason why that happened is because they picked up their phone, they saw that you were calling, and they declined it. Has this happened to you? <laughs> it's, happened, it's happened to me. God never declines our call. So one time I was going into a counseling session, and my phone started ringing, and it was Pastor Kenny Morgan. And I declined his call. I had to. I was going into a meeting, and two seconds later, I get a text message from King. He's like, hey, man, that's messed up. You declined my call. <laughs> okay, don't let Kenny fool you. Okay, he knows technology, right? Anybody who knows that knows technology. And you can't decline his call like I did. Okay, God always picks up, right? What's true is when he picks up, he is always ready to give us his mercy. It says in Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He is faithful to pick up. When you call on the Lord in the morning before your feet hit the floor, he promises to surround you with his favor and his loving kindness. His compassion, his tender love will not fail. The Hebrew word for compassion there is translated at different times in Scripture as womb. Okay? So when we call on him, he holds us like a cherished, unborn child. If you have ever seen a mother with a child, who's with child, you have seen mercy and compassion. Because this mother's entire being is focused on carrying this child. What they eat how they sleep, what activities they participate in. Everything that they do is, is being in consideration and focused on nurturing this, this new life. This is how our Heavenly Father responds to us. So often, you know, we cry out to God. We have an expectation of what His mercy should look like. God, protect me in this trial. Lord, please don't let Him give me a ticket. I bet everybody's prayed that prayer. God, would you open this door for us? Would you give us this house? Would you give me this job? Would you let me keep this baby? Would you heal me from this sickness? But just like any loving father, God knows what we need. His mercy, his loving kindness, his favor, it is perfect. You know, my son, um, he, he, he doesn't always want to take a nap, even though he really needs to take a nap. He, He's rubbing his eyes, but he's fighting it, right? And, but my mercy looks like me making him take a nap. Sometimes I even have to hold him down in his bed. Buddy, you're going to take a nap, right? I'm sure you guys are familiar with um, Kaya's worship team. It's uh, Temple Worship. Uh, they have a song, uh, Havala Ginther wrote it. And the chorus goes, you're holding me down. You're holding me back. You're holding me. This is God's mercy. What's true is when he picks up the call, he is always ready to give us his mercy. So our response is key point number three. To receive God's mercy, we must call him often. We must be ready to call him often. We have to be desperate and to call him. If you are being consumed by your life, if you are feeling directionless, Call your father. The second action to going deeper with God is that we need to be 
devoted. We need to be devoted. Verse 4 says, Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. To go deeper with God, I must be devoted. To be devoted means to be fully given over to someone or something. And David was fully given over to God. David lifted up to God his entire being. Here, God, you can have it all. David said in Psalms 143, verse 8, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. David was fully given over to God. He said, cause me. You cause me. I feel alone and afraid. Cause me to hear your loving kindness. I trust you. I'm directionless, God. Cause me to know the way to walk. God, you alone can give me joy. See, what's true is the Lord is ready and, and he's waiting for our devotion, for us to be fully given over to him. It says, as we continue in this passage in verse 5, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous and mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God cannot wait to hear from you. He can't wait to hear from you. He is ready to forgive you. Not only will he not decline your call, but he is waiting by the phone. So we see in verse 6, as we continue, David makes the call. And David gives us a model for what devotion looks like. So we have, real quick, we're going to drill down on this. Devotion looks like three things. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. Number one, devotion, it looks like talking to God about everything. Everything. There is no problem that is too small that he doesn't want to hear about. David tells God why he makes the call. In verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee. Why? For thou wilt answer me. Number two, devotion looks like trusting God completely. We need to be able to go, with, go to him with anything. And David then tells him why he is so devoted to him. In verse 8 he says, Among the gods there is none like unto thee. O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name, for thou art great and dost wondrous things. Thou, thou art God alone. Number three, devotion looks like God being your one and only and relying on his works alone. See, we have uh, this thing that we call um, quiet times. We, we, we do this thing in the morning, and, and it's like our, our morning devotion. This is what our morning devotion should look like. It should look like us talking to God about everything, us trusting him completely and him being our one and only as we come to him in prayer and in his word. What's true is the Lord is ready and waiting for our devotion for us to be fully given over to him. So our response is key point number four, to receive God's joy. We must call on him alone. All too often, we're lifting our souls to, up to anything that we think will make us happy. We do this 
with anticipation that it will fulfill us. We scroll through our contacts lists, searching for something to call, and all too often, God is at the bottom of that list. We call on busyness with our kids, with our work, with our ministry. Make me happy. We say, rejoice the soul of thy servant. And then we reach out to media and entertainment, and we say, rejoice the soul of thy servant. And if that doesn't work, we phone a friend, right? We call out to fear or to worry, and we try to maintain control. We say, rejoice the soul of thy servant. Give me joy. Give me peace. But to, to go deeper with God, we must be to, devoted to him alone. So we've discussed to acknowledge, we, we need to acknowledge and to accept that we are destitute. And through Christ we are divine. This is where we receive new life. From this position we can then receive his mercy and his joy. This looks like taking action and being desperate and devoted. And it is here that we will receive his outcome. The first outcome, when we go deeper with God, we have direction. Verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. When I go deeper with God, God gives me direction. David was completely directionless, but because he had accepted who he was, that he was poor and needy, but God had made him holy because he was desperate and devoted to receive God's mercy and joy through him alone. He knew that to have direction in his life in times of trial, all he had to do was ask God, 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 unite my divided heart so that I only fear you. That I don't fear my enemies or my circumstances, but I only revere your name. And then simply show me the way to go and I'll go that way. I'll do it. Psalms 85.10 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other, meaning if we want to have God's mercy, his favor, his loving kindness, then we must walk in truth. Because mercy and truth are met together. If we want God's mercy, we have to walk in his truth. Without walking in his truth, we don't have his mercy. And if we want to have his peace, our heart must be united with his if our heart is not united with his, and if it's united with the fears of this world, if we're asking, where do I go? What do I do? Then we're going to be lost. Instead, what we do is that we walk in the way that he is teaching us in his word. So when we walk his way, it is righteous. You know, when we walk God's way, it's righteous. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What's true is if we want God's results, we must do it God's way. David knew that he was prone to have a divided heart, to go and to do and to want to do things his own way, to, to get caught up in managing his trials within his own strength, and I am the exact same way. 
I am prone to do this as well. As soon as I am blindsided by a heart, uh, like a hardship or a trial, my reflex is to become divided. No longer do I fear God alone, but now I fear this circumstance as well, and my propensity is to begin to toil and to spin and to try to fix it and to plan, and I stress. But if I daily accept that I am both destitute without Christ, yet made holy through him, and I daily am desperate for him and devoted to him, when trial hits, I move towards him. This is a, this is a neurological thing. So the way that our, our brain works neurologically, we have neural pathways, and they're like, like a path. You know, if you're walking down a trail, and, and you see this trail that you're walking on, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It came because people walked down it before. And sometimes you're walking down a trail and you see throughout the, the foliage and the, and the trees that there's like this path, right? It's like it's overgrown, right? But maybe if you, if you walked down that path, it, it would be difficult. It'd be difficult to walk through there. But as you walk through there, you're starting to make it melt more well-worn, Right? And at the same exact time, you didn't walk down the other path, and so it starts to overgrow. And this is the same way that our brain works. The more we walk down a path, the more that we choose to acknowledge that we are desperate, that we're destitute, right? Yet that he's made us divine. We walk down that path. Maybe we walk down it and we start to throw some gravel down. Man, this is a good path. And maybe the next time we, we put some concrete and, and maybe we create two lanes. And before we know it, it's a super highway because... We spend more and more time going to God. If I daily accept what he's made me to be and I seek him, when trials hit, I will be prone to make my way down the path to fear his name instead of my circumstances. I am more likely to be available to walk in his truth. So our response is key point number five, to walk in his truth. We must know his path. We must know his way well. You must know it well. How are you supposed to walk in his truth when the only time you let God teach you his way is when you are in a trial? That would be like Googling on the day of a race, how do I run a marathon? That's a bad idea, right? No, when you're going to run a marathon, you plan, you start preparing months in advance, you follow a program. You do specific daily workouts. You research and you find the right gear. What shoes you wear, what clothes you wear. You start studying nutrition and hydration. You find specific places to run. Each day you battle to wake up a bit earlier so you get in the, the necessity, right? The right amount of miles to have God's direction. You have to have already gone deeper with God. Did you guys hear that? To have God's direction. You have to have already gone deeper with God. The second and final outcome, when we go deeper with God, we have delight. We have delight. Verse 12 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. 
See, when I go deeper with God, the natural outcome is that my whole heart is full of praise. Here David is in a day of trouble where violent men are after him, yet he's praising God. He says in verse 13, For great is thy mercy towards me, toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. And even though he was in the midst of a terrifying hardship, he still was able to walk in truth. He says in, in verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a, a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. So what's true is joy, despite our circumstances, is the byproduct of trusting God. Rather than trusting in our ability to control our circumstances, Trial after trial, we see God move, how he works all things for good to the point where even circumstances that we think are bad from our finite human perspective can still bring him glory, even when we don't get it or we don't like it. We can still have delight. David had been down this path before with God many times. Whether it was him slaying a lion or a bear as a teenager as a shepherd boy, or slaying a giant to defend a nation, or slaying his ten thousands in the name of God. Every time we choose to trust God in a trial, this increases our faith and increases the outcome that we will have joy in the next trial. This was not David's first rodeo. He had been here with God before, and because of this, David concludes this chapter by boldly coming before the throne of grace. He says in verse 16, Turn unto me and have mercy upon thee, upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. And finally he said, Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast hope in me and comforted me. David knew God would help him. David knew that God would comfort him. So what's true is that joy, despite our circumstances, is the byproduct of trusting God rather than trusting in our ability to control our circumstances and our responses. Key point number six, to have his delight in our day of trouble, we must praise God with our whole heart even while we are directionless. So often our devotion to God is contingent. It is determined on our perspective of how he should answer our prayers. But when we have concluded in our hearts who we are, that we are in fact poor and needy, And yet, he has made us holy. And his mercy and joy only come through our desperation and our devotion. We see clearly in times of trial that he will keep our hearts and our minds until he tells us which way to walk. Just like when I'm running with my neighbor, when I'm with him, everything about my run, it looks different. I'm no longer looking at my watch I'm no longer worried about my pace. I'm no longer worried 
about which way we're going to turn because I'm with him. I'm with him. This morning, if, if you do not have direction or delight in your life, we must work our way backwards. It must be because you don't have the action of being desperate and devoted. And if you aren't desperate and devoted, if you don't have those actions, it must be because you don't have the attributes of being destitute and divine. We must first go deeper with him. We need to run with him in order to walk in his mercy, to have his attributes, which then we have his power to fuel our actions, which will naturally produce the outcome of direction and delight. When we are running with God, we will never be directionless. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, uh, I pray desperately that we have the heart that David has here, Lord, that, Lord, that we would recognize the reality of the state of our being, that we are destitute. Lord, we are poor and needy, yet, God, thanks, to Je thanks be to Jesus Christ. Lord, that, that you have made us divine, that you, Lord, alone can make us holy, and for us to be heirs, Lord, that we can be like your Son, Lord, and I pray that as we, as we take that on, as we embody it, Lord, that we would be desperate and devoted to follow you, Lord, so that we can receive your favor, your mercy, your love and kindness, and we can receive your joy, Lord, that we can embody joy despite our circumstances so that you can give us direction, God, or if you don't, Lord, that we can still have delight, Lord, that we can just be grateful that we're with you on this path. Lord, would you deal with our hearts this morning? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.